All right, all right, people. That's enough for the little intro. Get your minds out of the gutter, man. It's not Freaky Friday yet. All right, everybody, relax. You know what? I'm actually a hypocrite. I can't. T- I can't tell y'all to get y'all minds out the gutter when I titled this "Getting Some Head: Best Decapitations in Horror" and I played the actual song "Getting Some Head." Shout out to uh, who is that on that sample? By the way, I think that is too short on the sample, but that song is actually um. Shauna, so shout out to her, shout out to Luda and DTP, all that good stuff, but, you know, we're not talking about music, people, we're not talking about music, like I said, get your minds out the gutter, we're not talking about really, orally getting some head, we ain't talking about that, even though everybody loves a, everybody loves a little head, um, every once in a while, just ask that dude from, you know, from Beetlejuice, you know, the dude with the shrunken head that's, you know, waiting on his number to be called and shit like that, but whatever, all bad jokes aside, what actually, what actually made me want to do this episode was I was watching John Carpenter's Vampires, and there's a there's a moment where I think it's Daniel Baldwin who plays Montoya. He he holds up a skull to um you know to the Padre, and he's like nothing like a little head, huh, Padre? And I'm like, I love that line. It's so cheesy. But then I said, what are the best like beheadings, decapitations? It's kind of morbid, but I'm like, what are the best decapitations in horror movies? Now there's a lot of decapitations in horror movies i remember when the decapitations were um they were really shocking to see on screen and i remember at some point they started to get a little more mainstream but nowadays it's like you kind of especially when you watch shit like the walking dead you kind of expect people to get their heads cut off now um with that being said i do have to give you know i'm gonna get to my list i have i have an honorable mention at the end here i've got 10 best decapitations in horror at least for me personally i've got 10 uh there's a number 11 that's an honorable mention but it just dawned on me i did not make this an honorable mention uh last night when i did my notes and the fact that i just mentioned walking dead decapitations i have to put this in the forefront before i get into um you know my my rankings here i have to put as a super super honorable mention first mention the pike sequence in the walking dead i don't remember what's i think it was season nine I don't remember what episode. I think it was called The Calm Before. And that Pike sequence is literally one of the most disturbing, gut-wrenching, shot-to-the-heart moments, well-crafted sequences I've ever seen in my life. Like, I got teary-eyed, no bullshit, uh, during that sequence where they showed all the people get beheaded. Henry was one of them, Enid, Tara um uh god what's that girl's name frankie uh rodney uh i can't remember all the people's names it's like 10 motherfuckers heads on the pike man 10 motherfuckers heads on the pike so i have to put that as a you know definitely as an honorable mention before we jump into the you know best decapitations in horror now i I don't know don't quote me on this people i think one of the first decapitations that was like that really shocked people on screen was the omen i'm not sure what year the omen came out uh there is a mention of that film um or at least the remake in this uh in this in this list but the original omen when uh when that guy i don't know if it's i don't want to say it's alan rickman don't please don't quote me on this people because i i don't i think i've seen the omen like once or twice when i was a kid but i barely remember anything about it i do remember that decapitation sequence though i remember that and i remember the the the, what was it the nanny she's like look at me damien it's all for you and then she jumps off the fucking the rooftop and hangs herself it's a really fucked up movie but it just was none of it, it wasn't one of my favorites uh is what i meant to say but 
um that that decapitation scene in the omen i think was one of the ones that was like really really shocking to people and people just couldn't believe what they were seeing on screen but like i said it became more mainstream you certain movies you expect to see it whether it's a zombie movie whether it's a vampire movie sometimes in a slasher movie and speaking of slasher movies our number one is actually um a decapitation scene in a slasher movie uh if i may say so it's the best decapitation scene i've ever seen in my life in a slasher movie I don't think there's a slasher movie that has anything on this first pick here. And the first pick uh, for best decapitations in a horror film is Julius, uh, played by V.C. Dupree, which was in Jason Takes Manhattan. That's Friday 13th Part 8 for the uninitiated. This one, man, this is probably one of the, it's actually probably top three death scenes in the entire franchise for me, man. I know there's a lot, and I know the Tom Savini purists out there, or even the um, Martin Becker purists out there, because I know once Tom Savini stepped down, I think Martin Becker was doing the effects for, I think, I want to say part five, six, and there's John Carl Beekler purists out there too, who did the special effects for um, uh, part seven, but this one, man, because you, ju you just didn't know what to expect you didn't know it was coming and the irony that a boxer gets his fucking head knocked off by jason Voorhees is just amazing shout out kane hodder also who did the you know who did the knocking of the block off and shit now basically for the people that don't know i'm not going to talk about the entire movie but the plot for this movie is jason gets resurrected by a boat anchor uh that hits a power line under the under the you know crystal lake or some shit like that he gets electrocuted and he comes back to life and basically he hitches a ride on this boat and ends up on another boat uh the the, the lazarus that's going to new york and it's got a bunch of high school kids on there jensen daggett's the, the the main final girl in the movie but you know jason's on the boat killing people kind of false advertisement for the people that you know wanted jason in manhattan throughout the entire movie but it was budgetary constraints and rewrites and stuff like that but jason does end up in new york at the at, you know in manhattan at the end of the movie but the build-up for this scene for julius's decapitation scene is julius you know everybody splits up once they get to new york because they've got to call the cops and find help because rennie's been kidnapped by two fucking uh you know heroin addicts in the alleyway somewhere so julius gets to you know julius gets to a telephone booth uh for millennials that is actually a, a a phone that is inside of a booth that has a rotary dial on it uh, i know it might look like a fossil to you guys but it you know we we're old and we did grow up with phone booths but julius is in a phone booth jason attacks him and julius has nowhere to go but up on the rooftop so he goes up on the rooftop and he's got his back against the wall because he can't get down now he can't jump it's too high up so what he does is you know he uses everything that he's learned boxing wise and he just is giving jason face shots body shots combos he, he says use the combos keep the feet light he's working jason the fuck out like to the point where he's hitting his he's hitting him for so long he starts to slip all over the place he's tiring himself out he's punching his mask repeatedly to the point where his knuckles start bleeding and his fatigue kicks in like his power bar is literally all the way down if this was a video game so the moment this happens julius is he, he swings one time and he misses then he swings another time and you see he's literally got nothing left in him he's like batman when batman was trying to beat bane's ass but he just ain't have nothing for the boy so you know he tells jason he's like take your best shot you motherfucker and what happens is jason grabs julius by the collar of his adidas sweatsuit and jason winds up and knocks this fucker's head off like it literally spins they attached a, the director attached a, a camera to a nerf football and threw that shit off the roof so you've got this pov shot of julius's you know julius's point of view his head rolling off the bill uh, rolling off the building but my reaction to that when i was a kid 
I, I like I, I couldn't believe it. It was like shock, but it was like I kind of wanted to cheer because I'm like, yo, this is the best fucking thing I've ever seen in a Friday the 13th movie at this point, man. I love this shit. It's fucked up because Julius is the best token black guy in Friday the 13th franchise history. I would say Creighton Duke, but we don't know where the hell Creighton Duke was for the last eight sequels or whatever. Creighton Duke is, as far as I'm concerned, is responsible for Julius dying in Jason Takes Manhattan. So I can't give that honor to Creighton Duke. Julius is the best token black guy in Friday the 13th history. He's better than, um, Ali from Friday the 13th, uh, you know, part three, that whoever the hell that Afro extra was in Friday the 13th, part two, he's better, th uh, you know what, he's, I do like Demon, Miguel e. Nunez, I do like Reggie the Reckless, and uh, I do like Vernon Washington, the one that played Gramps in uh, Friday the 13th, A New Beginning, Friday the 13th, New Beginning had the most black folk, now that I think about it, it's one of the reasons why it's the most underrated Friday the 13th movie, uh, you know, uh, th th this is, Take that with a grain of salt when I say that, because I know during my commentary, which y'all can check out uh, for Friday 13th Part 7, I did say that that's the most underrated entry, but Part 5 has a special place in my heart, man. But nonetheless, man, uh, Julius's decapitation scene, I had to make that number one because Jason, you know, the fact, I don't know if he was just impressed by the fact that this kid is real. This is the first person who's real, you know, since Tina Shepard, who's actually held their own against me. So I'm gonna just let him do it. I'm gonna let him tire himself out. And then I'm gonna knock his fucking block off, you know, killer clown style. That's exactly what Jason did. It deserves to be the first mention on this list of best decapitations in horror ever. Number two, however, number two is way more viciously executed, man. Um, and effects wise, it does look a hell of a lot better than the, than Julius's decapitation scene. Now, number two is a uh, Santana who was played by Jordy Mola. And this movie was a uh, Riddick. The third movie in the, um, you know, in the Riddick franchise first was pitch black. Then it was the Chronicles of Riddick, which I was not a fan of at all. And then there was Riddick, which kind of brought it back home. It felt more like pitch black, but it, they put a little more flair on it. Jordy Mola. Funny thing about him is I don't know if he knows how to play anything but a villain, you know, just a, a menacing, imposing as villain because he was Johnny Tapia in Bad Boys 2. And he's like, listen to me, you Russian punk. I will sever your head in my mama's garden or whatever he said in fucking uh, Bad Boys 2. I know he was racist as fuck in that movie, but he plays a, he plays the villain Santana in, in Riddick. I, I'm pretty sure that was him in Columbiana, the one that um, uh, Zoe Zeldana was going after. But anyway, the plot basically for Riddick is... It's kind of the same thing as, you know, as Pitch Black. That's why I said they brought it home. Riddick is basically surviving on this planet. He's being hunted by, you know, by these, um, I can't really call them police. I don't remember what the hell they are. They're like militia or soldiers or something like that. So when they find out, you know, Riddick even says it. He's like, I'm not the one you should be afraid of. And when they find out that the threat is much bigger than Riddick, this guy that they're supposed to, you know, uh, detain, then they all have to work together with this guy in order to survive these nasty ass monster scorpion spider creatures. I don't know what the hell those things are, but they're nasty as shit and they're plucking people off. Now, the buildup for this scene, I think is I think Riddick is chained up in, in the room amongst all the soldiers. And there's one guy, I can't remember the actor's name, who's about to he, he's about to unlock his shackles. And then everybody's kind of like at odds because Katie Sackhoff wants to help when Jordy Mola, um, you know, Santana comes up and he puts a machete to the guy who's trying to free Riddick. He's like, I don't think that's a good idea or whatever he says. So the guy, you know, he, he backs off. He doesn't let Riddick go. And, um, you know, Dave Batista's in the movie, Katie Sackhoff. You know, she wants to help and Dave Batista grabs her. He's like, let's sit this one out. And everybody else is kind of just standing by while Santana, he's ready to kill 
Riddick at this point. And, you know, I, I think he asked Riddick something along the Don't quote me on these lines either, people. It's been a while since I've seen it. But he asked Riddick something like any last words, and he Riddick tells him, you go in the next five seconds. So what happened is when, when Santana raises the machete to kill Riddick, Riddick, um, he kicks him in his chest, and he kicks him all the way, you know, kicks him all the way against the room, and he falls into the wall. And the machete flies up into the air, or the machete goes up into the ceiling, and when it drops, Riddick catches it. It's a really, I don't know if they did this practically, I doubt it, because the effect is just too motherfucking good. The machete falls and Riddick catches it literally like on his foot or on his ankle and he balances it. So what he does is when uh, Santana's like, like, you know, getting himself together, sitting upward, standing upward, rather Riddick kicks the machete up and he flips the machete up and kicks that shit towards Santana's head and it goes right into his mouth and cuts his fucking head off. But it's, he, he stands there at some point. Now, the impact, the sound effect is what got me. So my reaction, as soon as that shit goes into his face, I mean, you know it was coming because you saw that in some of the TV spots, but they cut it at the right time when the when the machete is about to make impact on Santana's face. So the sound it makes, it sounds way too realistic, man. Not that I've ever seen or heard somebody get their head cut off in real life. Actually, you know what I have? Too much internet research, uh, you know, in my high school years. Please don't ask. It was so fucking traumatizing. But the impact is crazy. There's like a big blood splatter. And he stands there for a second with the machete like embedded in his mouth and is stuck in the back of the, you know, in the back of the wall. But the top of his head, you know, here we go with the Terrence and Phillip doll shit again. The top of his head slides off and Riddick kicks a bucket, um, you know, glass bucket over to him and his head slides off into the bucket. And it, when it hits the bucket, the impact, again, it sounds real. That's one thing that I feel like a lot of horror movies get wrong is the uh the weight of a severed head you know it's not supposed to be like paper mache so when that head hits the the glass bucket it's got a lot of weight to it and then everybody else has their reactions to it they're all shell-shocked and dave batista's like yeah let's cut him loose and then she's katie sackcloth's like yeah that was five seconds and riddick tells them like i, I like to be a man of my word you know he wanted to cut that motherfucker's head off he's gonna cut his head off Th that is hands down i had to put that second because that's hands down one of the most vicious, um, not just entertaining or shocking, but it's vicious as shit, man. Because it's like one of the most realistic decapitation scenes I've ever seen in my life, man. It's so insane. Now, number three, um, this is another realistic decapitation scene. And I haven't seen this movie in a while either. Uh, so, I, you know, I can't be very, very specific as opposed to what cuts this guy's head off. But I can kind of break it down so that it can forever be broke but number three is keith uh played by david thulis and this was in uh the omen remake which came out in 2006 now i've only seen this movie i think i saw it once when it came out and i saw it again a couple years excuse me a couple years after that now the only thing i'm not gonna lie to y'all that attracted me about this movie that drew me into this movie was leave schreiber uh playing the father you know, Julia Stiles and Lee Schreiber were the adoptive parents of Damien, or, or I don't know if they adopt. Did they adopt him, or was he born that way? I don't fucking remember. The Omen was never my twist, people. Please don't judge me if I get the plot points wrong. Basically, the plot is the kid is the is, is the devil incarnate, and it's more. You know, Damien's responsible for all this shit, but this more so. This movie plays out, and the original movie as well plays out like Final Destination because it's more so these accidents that are killing these people. You know, whether it's a dog attack, whether it's somebody getting their head cut off, whether it's some 
it's it's more like Final Destination. So they really amped that up in 2006 in the, in the remake. But that's that's basically the plot. You know, there are these strange and fatal occurrences that happen and they're all pointing towards Damien like your son's the fucking devil. We need to get his ass up out of here. Like we need to kill him type of thing. But, you know, I was never really drawn to the remake and it almost is in some ways it almost is like a beat for beat uh, remake. But Lee Schreiber, who is I think is one of the most underrated actors uh, to ever step on screen he was the only thing that was like intriguing to me about the movie that, that was really about it but when i saw this scene people like the build-up for it is the same thing as before where the character of um of keith is like well if you don't do something about it i will and he runs off and i think he drops his bag and he's trying to get like all his tools and stuff together so then there's like this really suspenseful build-up scene i mean you know what's coming if you're a big fan of the original movie you know what's about to happen you just don't know how they're going to go about doing it this time around so what happens is there's these when he's picking up his belongings and trying to put everything back into his bag there's these guys doing the roofing work and i think one of the shingles fall off or something and he slips and what happens is a hammer falls and a hammer falls onto this um to this contraption i don't know what the hell it is but when the guy keith stands up this contraption swings it slowly lowers down but it swings swing low sweet chariot when that shit swings that shit cuts his fucking head off so clean so fast that his head spins like it almost spins in place and then his body stands there for a second but it's the way it's two things that make this scene so fucking vicious and memorable it's the way that it swings and his head cuts off and it kind of like spins in place for a second but then it's the way that his decapitated body falls down the staircase after that i don't know if there was like a green sleeve on top of the actor's head and they just digitally removed his head and it was an actual body that fell down the steps or i don't know if that was like a full body cast that they molded and sculpted to make it look realistic man but it looks like somebody really got their fucking head cut off and it's almost like a looney tunes a realistic looney tunes type of thing the way i'm telling you man the way his head spins is insane like the only thing that was missing from that scene was like uh you know steam like smoke coming from the stump of his neck where he was beheaded at it's a really vicious scene man and i think they've been pulling that scene off of youtube because i remember it, i could find it on youtube because it, it was just so insanely done i would watch it and then i would want to find you know like the making of it how they did that scene uh maybe i should invest in a dvd or something like that i don't know i don't think I would buy the Omen 2006 on DVD because I'm only getting it for that one scene, for that one moment. I'm not going to buy a movie for one scene. I'm not going to do that. But that is number three, people. Number four, this, I forgot this was number four for a second, man. This was one that is shocking. You know, uh, while I say one, the other ones are vicious or entertaining or realistic, this is just shocking. This is shocking and realistic. It's like, it's, it's so insanely done that it almost looks like a snuff film, you know, without the without the rough little film grain from the 70s and the 60s and stuff like that, because it really looks like you're watching somebody get beheaded on on screen. And what makes it so realistic is that it's not quick. It's not one swoop. It uh, it, it, it happens over the course of a couple hacks to the neck before, you know, it, it, it comes into fruition. But number four is um, Billy, played by Manute Bennett. And this was in 30 Days of Night, people. Now, y'all already know where I'm going with this. Any vampire fans or just fans of 30 Days of Night in general, we know what's up. We know where I'm going with this. Now, the plot basically is simple. Uh, Barrow, Alaska, they, they, they go under 
you know, nightfall for 30 days, uh, and they're basically at the top of the world. And these vampires, the plot is very simple. These vampires come out of nowhere. They come in, set up shop. They paint the town red. That is it. That is all. They are not taking any prisoners. They're not fucking around. It's one of the most vicious vampire movies I've ever seen. It's top five. Um, y'all can also check out my episode for top, I think top five or top 10. Pretty sure it was top five vampire flicks of all time. But, um, the buildup for this is there's an attack inside of the uh, not really the construction site, but the mill, I want to say it's like a mill, a mill or something like that. And um, the attack is by the the main, not the main, you know, the main guy is. Um, oh, man, I can't remember. I can't remember the main vampire's name, the actor, the guy who's in uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine. And he's in the number 23 with Jim Carrey. I can't remember his name, but it's basically his henchman, the, the, the one that just looks like a crazed, bald animal. And. He is in there attacking everybody. Now, what happens is I think he, he he bites off or something happens to the guy Billy's hand. Now, they do dispose of this vampire. They throw him up in that grinder thing. But what happens is Billy is missing his hand now. So his hands like, you know, Josh Hartnett and Melissa George and, and the one that plays the brother. They're trying to help him, but he's like pushing him off. Like, get the fuck off me. And it's it, like all this blood squirting out of his, uh, his, his, his stump where his severed hand has, you know, been cut off and all that stuff. But what happens is while he's screaming at the top of his lungs and he's bleeding out, his screams start turning into familiar screeches. So Josh Hartnett and everybody's looking around like, yo, that don't sound right. He's turning into a vampire. So he literally starts transforming as he's screaming. Josh Hartnett's not having it. Eben is his name in the movie. So Josh Hartnett grabs his trusty axe on some Paul Bunyan shit. And he takes, a, he takes one good swing. I'm telling y'all, the first impact. That first bit of impact, he takes one good swing at Billy's neck and his neck just splits apart and it kind of like flops over to the, to the other side. And Josh Hartnett is still hacking and hacking and hacking. And they, they cut away at some points, but they show it a couple times where he's still hacking, trying to get past the spine. And oh, fuck, this shit is vicious, man. 30 Days a Night is unapologetic in its violence, man. And excuse me, that's one of the reasons I love that movie. And that's one of the reasons why that is one of the craziest scenes in the entire film, because you see um, severed heads in, in, in the beginning of the movie. There's a guy whose head is put on a pike in the snow. You hear you don't see the little girl get decapitated by uh, by Eben's little brother, but you can hear it. And, you you know, the sound effects, you know, what you don't see sometimes is enough to fuck you up. You know, the psychological aspect of things works as well. But this was the one. And I feel like they saved the best for last. Shout out Vanessa Williams. They saved the best for last purposely because that effect is so crazy. I don't know if K&B did the special effects for this or whoever, but bravo to whoever did the special effects. And that scene in particular, whoever was on set and was like, OK, I'm assigning myself or whoever was assigned by the director or special effects department, whoever, whoever was assigned to that effect in particular needs an award for special practical effects man it is a gnarly amazing ass effect and um i i don't i hope that i never see anything like that again on screen you know as much as i love it it was so fucking disturbing to see i had to actually go back and watch it because not only i had, I had to figure out who the, uh, the the actor's name was playing billy but i'm like all right this is one where i have to watch it and just so that i explain it properly now number five is um a part of one of my favorite movies of all time and one of John Carpenter's best films and most underrated films he's ever done in his life. Number five is uh, my man Descanso, 
played by Liam Waite. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure if he's related to the Waite guy from uh, from The Thing. There was another Waite that was in The Thing. I'm, I'm not sure. I know John Carpenter keeps it all in the family, but Ghosts of Mars is what this movie is, people. Now, I know a lot of people hate on Ghost of Mars. I don't give a shit. Did commentary for it, by the way, if y'all want to check that out as well. But the plot, basically, for Ghost of Mars, um, the Mars Police Department is... Um, you know, they're sent to retrieve James Desolation Williams, played by Ice Cube. So, you know, they they end up getting more than they bargained for. They go, it's, you know, supposed to just be a routine prison transfer. But of course, it doesn't go like that, uh, especially when you're in a John Carpenter movie. So what they do is they go to the prison and they find people with their heads cut off and all this other shit. Then we get uh, we get a scene of exposition and we find out that uh the somebody opened up pandora's box and the ghost of these martian spirits possessed the 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 colonists on this martian planet and you know they're basically they're, they're not zombies but they're just possessed they're possessed they're crazed they make they got these makeshift weapons and shit like that and one of the things that they have as their makeshift weapons are these discs you know these discs that they that they throw at people to to, to slice them up or behead them now the moment this happens to my man Desconzo. It's a really great sequence because, you know, it's like a we got to make it back to the other side of, 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 of the colony so we can get back to safety because the train's not here. So you get this really crazy melee battle amongst the Martians and amongst the the, the basically the cops and the robbers. Uh, that's basically what this movie is. Cops and robbers versus Martians. But, you know, you get a scene where everybody they're not only shooting, they're not only throwing like um, homemade hand grenades, but they're doing hand to hand combat with these Martians. People are dying, but Martians are dying more than the uh, more than the actual humans are. But what happens is one of the guys, I think his name is um, I think his name is Trace. I think. Tr no, 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 no. Uh, don't fucking quote me on this. I know there are three guys named Uno, Dos and Trace. Now, one of them, the Indian guy, I'm pretty sure he's of Indian descent. Um, he gets stabbed with a javelin or a spear and you know Descanso goes to to help him he's like dragging him back towards the door so he can save this guy so he can salvage what's left of the team but what happens is they start throwing the disc and Descanso's arm literally is still holding on to the guy when it gets cut off so Descanso's pretty pissed off about this shit he's like fuck it he's like I'm not going out like this so he pulls his pistol off his waistband and he starts just bucking at the Martians like fuck you guys y'all took my only good arm I'm a lefty and y'all took my lefty so he's like fuck it I'm a buck at y'all with the right and he's just letting off shots and then out of nowhere there's a first of all there's a shot of him with the with the gang face on he's all me mugging shooting off the last bit of his clip at these martians so then they cut back to the martians throwing multiple discs at him and one of them just flies past Descanso's head and cuts his shit clean off clean off now my reaction to this when i saw it was surprising because i'm like I thought somebody was going to grab him like, yo, man, we don't have time for this. Let's go. Let's get you patched up. Let's get that arm sewn back on or patched the fuck back up or something. We got to cauterize the wound. I don't know what they were going to do or I didn't know what they were going to do rather. And the <laughs> the fact that his head just it's, it's such a clean swipe, man. It's so clean. It's so well done. You, you know, it's CG, but his head. I, I love that when his head gets cut off all clean the way it does. His body falls down, but the way that his arm kind of like wiggles with the gun still in his hand is just kind of funny. I know it's fucked up, people. I shouldn't be laughing at it, but it's funny. Plus, Descanso was biting off more than he could chew. Plus, he was the rookie. So, you know, the rookies ain't going to last long. Um, honorable mention goes to Clee Duvall as Bashira Kincaid. I couldn't put both people from Ghost of Mars in it, but she does get her head cut off as well. I just feel like... Um, Descanso's character, his his decapitation was a lot more um was a lot more effective, and it was the first time we we saw that in the entire movie. Now, number six, people, 
This was a uh, one that I almost forgot had went down in horror history. But then when I when I looked back on it, you know, I was in my mental Rolodex and I'm like, wait, 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 because I was thinking of what what who got beheaded in slasher movies. And I'm like, Jason did a beheading. I'm like, Michael Myers did one, but it wasn't cool enough to put on the list. And, you know, when he beheaded uh, Katie Sackhoff, uh, who gets another mention, uh, she was in Halloween Resurrection. And he cuts her fucking head off. That wasn't even really worth it because I didn't like the way they did that. But this one, uh, as far as a slasher goes, this was one that was so good. I feel like they couldn't live up to it as far as the rest of the kills went in the movie. And number six is... um. Lisa, played by Jacinda Barrett, and this was in Urban Legends Final Cut, which is the second movie in the trilogy. Fuck that third movie, it shouldn't exist. First one's pretty underrated. But um fun fact about Jacinda Barrett, man, she was actually in one of the uh seasons of the real world. I don't remember which one it was, but I used to, you figured I would know because I used to watch that shit faithfully. But the plot for um Urban Legend Final Cut, uh, and, and actually, this is one of my favorite slasher movies, by the way. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of film school kids who are doing thesis films, and whoever does the best thesis films, whoever does the best thesis film, wins the Hitchcock Award. But basically, you've got this new killer who's on campus, and he's knocking off all the competition, and he's actually pretty crafty with this shit. He films murders and stuff like that. He, he kills people based on, you know, the urban legends that they're creating in, their, in the thesis film. But all of this shit is kind of pointed back to Amy Mayfield. Uh, Je- I think her name is Jennifer. Is it Jennifer called? Jennifer Morrison, I think her name is. And everything's kind of pointing back to her. You've got the whole red herring uh, aspect of everything. It's a really decent sequel, man. I feel like it doesn't get the love that it deserves. But basically, the build up for this moment uh, with Lisa's decapitation scene the buildup for this moment is is pretty interesting because she's in a bar and somebody slips her Mickey when she's not looking. So when she's going to the back to get her coat, somebody does the whole Black Christmas thing and wraps something around her and she blacks out. Now what happens is Lisa wakes up. Excuse me, Lisa wakes up in um in a tub full of ice and her kidneys are gone. Her kidneys are literally across the room in the bathroom, sitting on a fucking plate and. It's really nasty because the kidneys, they really look like kidneys. I think they really used real kidneys in the movie. But she has to be quiet because the killer's in the, he's in the kitchen across the room. He's like putting his little tools and his knives and shit together, getting ready for some din-din. But she slips on some ice and the killer, you know, there's, it's not a big chase sequence, but she has to lock the door and she's like on the phone. She's like, I just woke up in a tub full of ice. And then the lady's like, yeah, honey, I, I don't believe nothing you're saying. Or whatever she says, she's like, yeah, don't tell me your kidney's gone. And she's like, I got Princess die on the other line. And the, the 911 operator is a real bitch about it, and she hangs up on her. So what happens is, it's a really vicious, not just a decapitation, but there's a really vicious moment that happens prior to that, man, because she's trying to get out of this window. She's trying to escape the bathroom while the killer's trying to break down the bathroom door. And what happens is, mind you, she's still got the incision um, on the side of her where her kidneys have been removed. So she's she's like halfway out the window, her upper torso upper torso what the fuck am i from boston or something like that why did my why did my voice just get like that her upper torso is hanging out the window so there's a big ass german shepherd out there so she really can't fuck around because she doesn't want to get her head bit off and or killed at the same time by this killer so the killer grabs her and she's putting up a hell of a fight but what he does is while she's like struggling he he digs into her incision and starts pulling the skin back it's a really nasty shot man is oh my god while while the first urban legend didn't really go hard super hard with the violence this one scene alone is like cringeworthy man he pulls that shit back and then she's still putting up a good fight she's fighting a good fight trying to stay alive um you know like the bgs and stuff like that but 
is that the BG song staying alive? Don't don't quote me on nothing, people. Y'all know I don't know what I'm talking about half the time. But what happens is he grabs her, he he turns her around the opposite direction, and he pulls her back into the window. But when he pulls her, she's um she she grabs the 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 window, and when she grabs the window, she breaks it off. So there's nothing but the exposed, you know, the, the broken off shard. So she's still screaming, but then she stops and her eyes widen because the killer grabs the top of the window. And he slams that shit down on her neck and her head just drops to the ground. And then the dog finally starts barking and he's like sniffing it. But what makes everything even nastier, what caps this off, and this is why I said they never lived up to this kill in the movie. The killer grabs the kidney, throws it out the window, and the dog eats it. And then they just got this shot. It's like a fade out shot of the blood just dripping on the on, on the on the window shard. And I'm just like, ugh. That kill is so good. It's the best kill in the entire movie. And I feel like they probably should. If they, if they were going to open strong with a kill like that, then you had to get a better kill afterwards. And I feel like nothing that they did lived up to that opening kill in the entire movie, man. Nothing at all. And, you know, shout out to I, I'm mad as shit. I can't remember the director for Urban Legend, too. I will tag everybody to this. Everybody involved, the director, the writer, the the decapitee. Is that a word? I just figured it was a word. The person that gets decapitated. I call him a decapitee. I don't know. Some, some morbid shit I'm into, people. Now, number seven. Number seven is actually another underrated movie, uh, which I also mentioned in my top five vampire movies. Uh, Mar number seven is Marcus, uh, played by Omar Epps in Dracula 2000. Now, Dracula 2000, I know a lot of people don't like that movie, but this is probably the most tolerable uh other than 300 gerard butler has been for me i'm not it's nothing against the guy i'm just not the biggest gerard butler fan you know i know everybody likes olympus has fallen and angel has risen and all that crazy shit they like geostorm and the bounty hunter and all that stuff i'm not really and i oh you know what i'm lying and i like um law-abiding citizen he was great in that movie as well and i also liked him in uh god damn what's the movie with uh 50 cent is there's a movie with 50 cent and uh, uh den of thieves he was great in that movie too so i can't say that i don't like anything he's in but dracula 2000 was i think the first movie i saw him in and is definitely one of my favorites now the plot for dracula 2000 omar epps uh you know like i said he plays marcus him jennifer esposito lachlan monroe sean patrick thomas uh, a bunch of them break into a museum that matthew van helsing works at and you know they're they're looking for um gold and and crown jewels and stuff like that the holy grail but basically what they end up finding is that there's a room that's there's a coffin in this room and they think that the crown jewels are in there but once they move the coffin they find out that this room is heavily guarded by traps so there's a couple people that die but basically they they take the coffin they put it on their plane and they awaken dracula in the in the, in the year 2000 hence the title and dracula goes looking for a uh, mary van helsing you know to to take her as his bride and all this other shit he does what dracula does man he fucks a couple chicks in, in the midst of everything you know bites a couple necks he does what dracula does man it's a decent movie um it's, it's a good way to bring dracula into the new millennium i think now the build-up for this scene uh has a lot to do with johnny lee miller who plays um good goodness gracious what is his name simon he plays simon now simon and omar epps's character marcus have had a run-in prior to this sequence right here they had a run-in where omar epps wakes up as a vampire and then you know he attacks johnny lee miller 
and Johnny Lee Miller, sta- he's got a cross with a knife in the, in, in, in the inside of it. So he stabs him in his eye. Omar Epps jumps out the window. He, he scurries away. Now, what happens is he runs into Simon again in a parking garage. Very empty parking garage. Of course, it's a horror movie. Why would there be people inside a parking garage? <laughs> but he runs into him there. He's posing as a bum. And then he's like, now, sorry, mate, I can't I can't help you. I don't have any change for you. Omar Epps starts fucking him up. He's punching him. He's kicking him. He kicks him into a dumpster. Now, what happens is um, Simon has this um, this 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 gun that pumps out these, the, you know, these silver bullets and shit like that. But instead of that, he grabs the um, he grabs the handle and pulls out a knife. So he stabs uh, he stabs Marcus in his in his chest and he thinks he's dead. You know he talks his shit while he's stabbing him too. He's like never fuck with an antiques dealer. So he stabs him. Omar Epps falls to the ground and Johnny Lee Miller's just standing there like you know having his moment. But Omar Epps is slowly rising up behind him. He's growling. He's got the game face on. Johnny Lee Miller does the fucking Michael Jackson's 360 spin. Spins around with the knife so so swiftly you can hear the knife like make this metallic sound he he spins around and cuts omar epps's fucking head off and it flies across the the parking garage and lands in a <laughs> lands in a dumpster then his body falls now i remember when this movie came out this was the coolest thing i've I, one of the coolest things i had ever seen in a uh, in, in a vampire movie the older i get the more it's like okay they probably could have gave them more of a fight sequence um, since they had it out before, but I get it. Who knows? Time constraints. Who knows what happened? But it is a really dope scene that they had that running again, and Simon finds his badass moment, and that, excuse me, as if he wasn't a badass before, that was the moment where he realized, yo, I can cut people's heads off in one swoop. Yeah, I'm the new Van Helsing up in this bitch. Mary Van Helsing's about to be my wife. Drac, you better watch your ass type of thing. It's a really badass moment for the character Simon, man. I like, I was really sad to see Omar Epps die because I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, damn, like the only movie from Dimension Films that Omar Epps survived didn't seem like it was in too deep. And he was supposed to survive in that. But it's like, damn, you died in Scream. You died in Dracula 2000. Like, damn, he can't catch a break. Now, number eight number eight man i was actually going to do commentary for this movie a couple nights ago but i said nope i said i'm gonna need a six pack you know the same thing john carpenter did when he wrote the original halloween too but uh that's neither here nor there now number eight is gary played by richard brackey i don't know if it's richard Brake or richard brackey forgive me if i'm saying that last name wrong but halloween 2 2009 now let me just get this out the way uh, there's an episode I did, which y'all can check out, that says uh, Forever Defending Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. I'm not going to get into why I defend it. I'm not even going to talk about why people hate it and if I care or not. That's y'all prerogative. You know, you can do what you want to do. Shout out Bobby Brown. But this movie is amazing. I love it. I love what they did to it. And this is one of the most vicious moments in the entire Halloween. I haven't seen a moment probably this vicious. I mean, he did a couple things in the original, uh, not the original, but the the 2007 Halloween remake. But Rob Zombie really took the fucking gloves off for this movie, man. And he did it in the opening scene, the very first Michael Myers kill, whether it's a dream sequence or not. This shit goes hard in the paint, people. Now, the plot basically is, is, is very simple. Michael Myers survives being shot in the head by Laurie Strode in the 2007 movie. 
and Michael Myers wakes up and he's he kind of becomes like a drifter and he's making his way back to Haddonfield over the course of a couple days. So he's got a couple days to kill people um, for like two nights in a row, three nights in a row before he finally gets to Haddonfield for his ultimate bloodshed. And, you know, he's actually not going to kill Laurie Strode. He's going to bring the family together. And we see in Halloween, too, that um, Michael Myers is being led by the voice of his mother, actually the vision of his mother, rather, played by Sherry Moon Zombie. And it's her as in a ghostly form and her and her her white horse and shit like that is really trippy, you know, acid trip type of shit right there. But that's the basic plot. You know, Michael Myers coming back home to do his his, um, you know, his nostalgic standard trick or treat it. Now, the build up for this for this scene is there's a scene with uh with with Richard Brackey and. I can't remember the other actor's name, but there it's, it's a really disgusting fucking scene, man. Because they're talking about he's like, yeah, I heard about a couple of guys fucking corpses over there in Essex, and it's like it's just this. They're talking about necrophilia and jamming your cock up a dead girl's ass as opposed to jelly. It's just real nasty shit. I really could go without the dialogue in that scene, and I watch a lot of crazy shit. I hear a lot of crazy shit in movies, but some shit is just like, come on, man. Like you're going a little too far with that. But what happens is they're talking their shit, and they end up going head first to smashing right into a cow with the corner van so the one guy who's driving his shit's all mangled his jaws hanging all off his face his shit's all smashed up he's a done deal man it's that's a wrap that motherfucker is doa but richard brackey's character is actually uh still alive now the way that he displays how much pain he's in, it's like he's got internal bleeding. You know, his chest cavity's all fucked up. So he's just like spitting out blood and he just keeps saying fuck a thousand times over and over and over. But what happens is Michael Myers wakes up and he kicks the back doors open on the uh, in the corner van and he steps out. And it's a real badass moment because it's in slow motion when, he, when they actually show him in full walking around to the side of the corner van. And he picks up a big ass shard of glass from the accident. And Richard Brackey, I love the reaction on his face where he he thinks he's getting help, but he sees, he doesn't say anything, but he, he looks up at Michael Myers and he his face basically says like, holy shit, you're the guy we just put in there that just got killed. So he grabs Richard Brackey by the head and he cuts, he starts, you can hear it, he starts cutting through his neck. Ah, you, oh my God, it's, it's, I'm telling you, if they never would have even showed the insert shots of him cutting through all the tendons and the spine and all that shit, cutting his head off, it probably still would have worked just based off the sound effects alone and just you leaving it to your imagination but they do insert shots of michael cutting through his neck with the shard of glass and you can hear it literally sounds like glass cutting through something and then you know he picks his head up and he holds it and it's a really dope ass um severed head that they do i don't know if k and b did the effects for that or if it was wayne toth i'm not sure but um it's a really good effect. It's a really vicious moment. And I remember, I will never forget my reaction to uh, to seeing that. The very first time I saw Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, when, when Michael Myers cuts that motherfucker's head off, I got comfortable in my seat. I think I had, I was in, I was in my stoner phase in 2009. I had a blunt, I had some beers, and I sat back. I sat back in my chair. I said, oh, that's what we doing? Okay. I said, I'm, I'm with it. Let's go. I, I Let me put my cinematic seatbelt on right the fuck now because i am ready for whatever rob zombie's about to throw at us when you cut someone's head off with a shard of glass first of all not just when you when michael myers the greatest slasher of all time cut somebody's head off with a shard of glass in the opening sequence of a film i said oh my god this is this is the most badass michael myers shit i've ever seen since halloween 6 you know since he was so vicious in that movie but man, that's, oh my God, man, I was ready. I was ready for whatever and actually ended up enjoying the movie. Now, I don't know, I don't know. We would have to ask Rob Zombie or something. Like, is there confirmation that that 
that when Michael wakes up in that in that uh, corner van, is that the dream sequence or does the dream sequence start when Lori wakes up in uh, Haddonfield Memorial Hospital? I'm not sure. The world may never know. We should probably ask Mr. Owl or some shit like that. Now, number nine, number nine, people, is uh, another one of my favorite zombie movies ever made. It's crazy underrated. And I'm mad that I didn't have the appreciation back then that I had for this movie that I have for this movie today. And number nine is Torres played by uh, Tasso Starvakis, hopefully uh, Stavrakis, uh, from Day of the Dead, 1985. Now, the plot for Day of the Dead, 1985, um, it's simple, you know, it's basically civilians, scientists, and soldiers versus zombies, but the zombies aren't really, this was the one where we see, once again, really in full, that the zombies aren't really the threat here, It's, it's more so the 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 people in this missile silo which is where they've seek refuge at is the people in the missile silo who can't really band together long enough to 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 survive and they can't coexist amongst each other so the zombies are just like the added bonus as far as the 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 fuckery goes but um it's basically you know they're trying to find a cure and they're trying to do science and they find out that the zombies are actually getting smarter the zombies are evolving and um that's basically the plot for the movie, you know, overall is, you know, the, the soldiers are the assholes and they it's really everybody else versus the soldiers and then versus the zombies after that. So that's really what it is. Now, the build up for Torres's death scene. Now, Torres was a fucking asshole. He was a flunky for Captain Rhodes. Rest in peace. Shout out to Joe Palato. But uh, he, he was a flunky, man. He, I didn't like him. The only one that had redeeming qualities as far as the asshole soldiers was Steel. Uh, rest in peace. Shout out to that actor, too, because I think he passed away as well. Now, what happens is there's a character by the name of Miguel. Now, Miguel loses his shit once he gets his... He's already going crazy down in that silo to begin with. He's, uh, his, his girl's trying to dope him up the whole time to keep him calm. But um, what happens is Miguel loses his shit once he gets bitten and gets his arm uh, amputated. So he takes the elevator all the way up. He smashes the controls on the way up. And he lets all the zombies through the gate. And what he does is he lays down on the elevator platform. He does the father, son, Holy Spirit shit. He puts his chain in his mouth to bite down on. And it's not until the zombies start biting him the fuck up. They tear out his throat. They're biting on his chest and shit like that. They're fucking him up. So he's dying at this point. So it's not until they that he knows that he's literally on the brink of death that he presses the elevator button and lets all the fucking zombies into the underground bunker, into the missile silo, yo. And all hell breaks loose because you have to have that moment in a, in a George A. Romero movie where the zombies break in and we have to get the fuck out of Dodge type of thing. Now, what leads up, what, what happens with the moment that happens with Torres's uh, decapitation scene, it's a little, it, it takes a little more time, man. It actually takes probably either the same amount of time as it took for the guy in 30 days a night to get his head cut off or it might take a little longer i'm not sure now what happens is all the soldiers go their separate ways and they go scurrying running and they start pussying up when all the zombies running i mean as everybody would because where are you going to go how are you going to get away when the elevator is broken and um torres basically is like hiding behind some like crates or whatever he's hiding behind just running around and then the zombies come behind him and try to grab him so he jumps over the crates and then the zombies try to grab him that way and then he turns around and lies on his back and the zombies literally are all around him so he knows it's a wrap so he can't do anything but scream now the crazy thing about this is there's a zombie with two fingers digging into his eyes now while he's screaming these zombies are digging into his neck and while he's screaming his screams are getting more and more and more high-pitched as the zombies are slowly, slowly pulling his head 
off of his shoulders. They're tearing at his neck. They're pulling at his eyes and his head and they're pulling his head away from his neck. But his, what makes this disturbing is the fact that his screams get higher and higher pitched. And Tom Savini actually explains it during the commentary. And he says that what would happen if you get beheaded that way? And he said your vocal cords would stretch. I don't know if he said he was taking a couple liberties with that effect and the sound effect, but he said that he would imagine the vocal cords would stretch and your voice would start to sound a little differently. And I'm, fuck, I'm just like, oh my God, man. How awful that must be and then his body's still moving once they get the head off the head the mouth is still moving the mouth is still moving on the severed head and once that happens um you know his body's still shaking and the zombies are still digging into the stuff it's really nasty stuff man i think he gets it he might get it the worst out of um you know out of all his uh you know all of his fellow soldiers that get fucked up in the in, in the movie for, to the rest of the movie man but it's a really really good scene there's actually a small little nod to that maybe in uh the day of the dead remake I think it was in 2008. It's not a good movie, people. It's not. But um, the character that plays Bub, uh, well, he was human at some point. I think his name is Bud. Bud Crane. He actually, he, when, he turns into, when he turns into a zombie, he tries to save the humans. And the zombies actually pull his head off in some somewhat the same fashion as that. I'm not sure. That's a nod. I don't know. We would have to ask Steve Miner all that. I don't even know if he wants to talk about it. Now, number 10. Like I said, there will be an honorable mention here. Actually, let me do the honorable mention right now before I get to my final well-deserved mention of the best decapitation in a horror movie. My honorable mention is um, Dalton, played by John Abrams in House of Wax. I think that remake came out in 2007 or 2008. Um, I want to say no later then. No later then, but Dalton... That is a really, first of all, it's an underrated ass movie. Uh, you know, these, it's, they made it into a slasher movie. They turned Vincent Price's classic into a straightforward, really creative and really vicious slasher. And the director of House of Wax is actually directing uh, Black Adam with The Rock, you know, DC's movie. And uh, the director of that is uh, Jean-May Colette Serra. Now, the, the movie, the plot is basically the kids, of course, they get their wires crossed as far as movies go because they take a wrong turn and then they end up in the backwoods somewhere. But what happens is there's a literal house of wax. It's literally made of nothing but wax. And But what they don't know is that the people underneath the wax, there are really people underneath these wax figures. And there, is, there are two killers in this town. There's one named Bo and there's one named Vincent who were... Uh, um, you know, conjoined twins, but they were separated at birth type of thing. So what Vincent does is he wears this this wax mask that's really fucking creepy. It's almost, it's one of the creepiest horror movie masks. I think I'll do an episode based on that. But it's one of the creepiest horror movie masks uh, next to Michael Myers and the, you know, the Cupid Cherub mask from uh, Valentine. But basically the kids are getting plucked off one by one by Vincent. And, you know, he actually turns them. They show a scene where he turns Jared Padalecki into a wax figure. They show you how he does it, the contraption he has him in and everything. Now what happens with Dalton is, um, Jared Padalecki, he finds him inside the house of wax and he just thinks he's just casually sitting at a piano. He's a little, he's a little shinier than usual. And he's just sitting in place and he's like, wait, what are you doing, man? Everybody's waiting for you. We got to get up out of here. And Wade does not move. So he touches his face and he sees it's like, Ugh, it's like this nasty wax type of, you know, type of material. So he starts peeling at his face. I, why Dalton does this shit? I don't know. It's the dumbest fucking decision. Somebody, one of the dumbest decisions somebody makes in this movie. So he keeps peeling at his face and he sees that the more he peels, the more he's peeling off his actual skin. And I love that. Jerry Padalecki can't move, but he's all his all he's doing is moving his eyes. But there's a tear rolling down his face because, you know, that shit hurts bad. You're peeling off my face, bro. So what happens is there's a small chase scene between Dalton and Vincent. 
Um, Vincent knocks Dalton down the staircase leading into the wax room. But I love this scene because what happens is Vincent's got these two knives and Dalton's laying on his back and he fucking he sticks both the knives. Uh, he crosses them and he sticks them into Dalton's neck and you don't really see it. You just see this shot of the knives stuck into the ground. So you see that the shot's still going on and you see Vincent walk around and grab Dalton by the bottom of his legs. And when he pulls Dalton's body, you see both the knives move and you can hear the head detach from the body. But the knives are still stuck in the ground, crossing over each other. Dalton's head turns over to the side, but his eyes blink a couple times. And that makes you could tell it's like a they digitally removed John Abram's body from it. You can tell. But the way his his head tilts over to the side and his eyes blink for a couple last times, it's really unsettling, man. I didn't expect that. And like I said, man, I recommend House of Wax. If you want a straightforward slasher and you're not a real purist of the, the Vincent Price original, or even if you are a purist of the original and you want something completely different, I, def I definitely recommend the House of Wax remake. Now, the moment we have all been waiting for, people, the number 10 best decapitation in a horror movie. Um, one of, if not this is this has got to be like top three if we're going to narrow it down this has got to be top three because this was like a defining moment in the entire franchise number 10 is michael myers played by chris durand in halloween h2o now don't get me wrong and if y'all don't believe me there's an episode i did as and it's called why h2o does not get a pass from me don't get me wrong halloween h2o has got so many fucking problems to it there's a lot of problems with the writing there's a lot of problems with the continuity there's a lot of problems with the with just certain things on set the mask there's four different fucking masks in this movie there's so many problems with this movie but i don't hate it i don't hate it i can't front like this movie is not a well-grounded film it's certainly a lot better written than what came before it and what came after it and that's not no diss to daniel farron's i love halloween six but um as far as like a straightaway plot premise type of thing goes, Halloween H2O is way better. Uh, Halloween Resurrection is just a fucking mess. We'll, we won't even touch on that. I've done plenty of episodes bitching about that movie. But um, H2O's got a lot of problems, but this has to probably be... This is top three endings in the entire Halloween franchise, if not the best ending in the Halloween franchise. That remains to be seen. I, I have to really sit down with the franchise in order to fully say and positively say and stand on it that this is the best ending in Halloween franchise history. I don't know. Maybe we'll, we'll see. Halloween Kills might have a crazy ass ending. Halloween Ends might have the best ending. We don't know. We shall see, people. The plot for this movie, um, they, you know, they took out Halloween's four through six and uh they went back to the drawing board they only are including halloween one and two in this so jamie lee curtis has faked her death she has changed her name her entire identity and she moved to summer Glen, california and she's the headmistress at um uh, uh hillcrest academy now she's got a son josh hartnett but what happens is michael myers breaks into marion uh chambers they call her marion whittington for some reason in this movie but continuity schmontinuity so he breaks into Marion Chambers' home, he kills her, and he finds all the information. He finds the file on Lori Strode, so he tracks her down. Um, how Michael Myers drove to Summer Glen, California from uh, Langdon, Illinois in such a short period of time beats the fuck out of me. I don't know. Like I said, continuity, schmontinuity, who cares at this point? I do, but we're not going to focus on that. So Michael Myers tracks her down, and he does his routine trick-or-treating in the movie. And, um... Basically, uh, the, the, the buildup for this moment, man, 
you've got this really crazy finale where you kind of think Michael Myers is done for, but then they do that close-up shot of the paramedic zipping Michael Myers up in the um in in the in the body bag. Jamie Lee Curtis, Laurie Strode, knows that he's not dead. She grabs the axe off of a police car, she grabs the gun off of a policeman, and she when they load him up in the corner van. She jumps in the driver's seat and she drives the fuck off. She's like, nope, I'm going to take care of this once and for all. I'm not sure where she was going. She probably wanted to stop at like IHOP or some shit and like get something to eat because it's been a long night. I'm not sure. But what happens is Michael Myers wakes up in the, in the, um, you know, in the body bag and she hits the brakes when he comes at her and he flies through the windshield and then she drives towards him, crashes into him. They have a stare down before she drives off a fucking cliff. And, you know, the, 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 the corner van smashes Michael Myers between a tree. So he's pinned between a tree. He's incapacitated at the moment. Lori Strode's still very much alive. She's all banged up. She's spitting up blood and stuff like that. But um, she's doing all right. You know, she's holding on for dear life. Now, what happens is she calls Michael Myers' name. He looks up and he, he, he puts his hand out to her, you know, like, on some help me. I'm sorry that I murdered everybody over the last 20 years and shit. So you get this really soft, unexpected moment where... Lori kind of just looks down and starts like whimpering. She almost feels bad for her brother. I don't know. Maybe she felt like, well, it wasn't his fault. Maybe it was the man in black. Maybe it was Mrs. Blankenship. Maybe it was just bad parenting. She doesn't know what it is. And there's a moment where she really feels bad for Michael Myers. And I remember um, people reacting to this and they were just like, absolutely not. Like, you, you got to be fucking nuts to sympathize with this maniac right now. And she puts her hand out, but they make sure... I'm telling y'all right now that was, I don't know if y'all heard that, but my dryer just went off and that shit scared the fuck out of me, man. It was the jump scare that I needed for being so serious and goofing off in this episode. But they make sure to um, they make sure to not have Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, you know, to not have Laurie Strode and Michael Myers hand touch. I feel like they did that on purpose because of what they did in Halloween four, where um, Jamie Lloyd touches Michael Myers and she gets the, the touch of evil passed on to her. But, uh, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis kind of like she kind of sighs and she she gets back into her groove of things and she's kind of like looking at him like, what the fuck am I doing? And she swings that axe and lops Michael Myers fucking head off and it just rolls and rolls and rolls. And then it just falls on his side and just stares at the screen. Listen, let me tell you all something. When I first saw it, it was it was a moment of disbelief, absolute disbelief, because I did not expect that. I thought they were going to leave it open for Michael Myers to come back. I thought that maybe he was going to break free and they were going to have another fight and it was going to be like another mini third act fight sequence or something. I didn't know. I did not expect Jamie Lee Curtis to swing that axe like a baseball bat. Like she was going for a home run with that shit. Lopped Michael Myers entire head off. Mask still on. You see the little tendons peeking out the bottom of the mask, and then you see little blood spurts come from the body when they're playing the Halloween theme, and Laurie Strode is just like, she's just breathing really heavily, almost breathing heavily like Michael Myers with the axe in her hand, and she's kind of got this moment of like freedom, like this weight has finally been lifted off her shoulder, she's finally got rid of the boogeyman, everything's finally over, the nightmare is finally over and done with, and I remember, I'm not gonna lie to y'all, man, speaking of sim sympathy, I... When Michael Myers, when it was all said and done and the credits rolled and the Halloween theme really kicks into gear, I'm thinking to myself, like, as a kid in 1998, I'm thinking to myself, like, so so Michael's going to be all right, right? Like, we're going to have another one, right? And, of course, there was a contract. Mustafa Akkad knew that they were going to do another one. I'm thinking, and I remember 
when me and my mother saw this, I remember that we said the same thing. And, and she even she said it. She's like, we don't find a way to bring him back. Somebody will attach his head back on. And I used to think like, yo, they're going to go full blown supernatural. They always alluded to the fact that Michael Myers may or may not have been supernatural in the series. This was their opportunity to go full blown supernatural instead of insulting our intelligence as Halloween fans and doing a piece of shit like Resurrection. But I was just in such disbelief. I was like, yo, Michael Myers, like, is it going to be a post-credit sequence? Michael, My Michael Myers gets back up and pick puts his head back on. What's happening? Is he going to be all right? Are we getting another one? I, I just couldn't believe what I saw, man. It was such a it, it was such a ballsy move for the series, man. Now, had they not done Resurrection, it would have been interesting to see what direction they would have went in uh, following up H2O. I actually have an idea for that. I, it was an episode I was going to map out. I'm not sure if I want to do it. I don't know. But um, they, there's so many liberties they could have taken after that ending, man. But I, I, what I would have given to have been a fly on the wall at the premiere of Halloween H2O and just listen to the audience erupt and cheer and scream at the top of their lungs when Jamie Lee Curtis cuts Michael Myers' head off, man. It is one of the greatest moments in slasher movie history. Not just in Halloween franchise history, but slasher movie history. It's one of the best moments ever in horror movie history, man, ever. It was just such a such a sucker punch because you think it's going to be some type of some type of twist or some type of way Michael evades Laurie Strode again or evades getting killed. But nope, she cut that motherfucker's head off and said, I am done with this shit altogether, man. Now, let me just say this. I know there's there's some that I missed. Uh, I definitely wanted to put uh, there's a decapitation in Hatchet 2 that I wanted to put in there, but I'm saving that for an episode where I talk about the worst cock block moments in horror movie history as well. And the decapitation in Hatchet 2, for my Hatchet 2 fans, y'all know exactly what I'm talking about, that scene in the woods. But um, I'm saving that for that episode in particular. I feel like it's it's way more, uh, it, it, it goes better with that episode as opposed to this one. I didn't even want to put it as an honorable mention, but clearly I kinda just did. Kinda just did. But I kept it narrowed down to 10, man, because I, I felt like I feel like any more than 10 mentions of decapitations in horror movies, people would start to be like, okay, maybe there's something really wrong with Tudor, man. I, maybe there's something really not, but this guy screws might be a little looser than we thought. But it's like, like, come on, man. Y'all, if, if y'all listen to this, then y'all just as crazy as I am. If y'all were listening to this and were like, oh, I know what decapitation scene he's about to talk about. I, I like that one too. Then y'all in the same boat as me. We got the same matches, straight jackets and the same padded cell. We are all roommates and crazy as shit horror fans, people. And I'm cool with that. I'm actually fine with that, man. I love, I love the horror fans out there, man. And, um, speaking of which horror fans or comedy fans, whatever you enjoy me, whatever genre enjoy you enjoy me talking about man y'all know where to go man y'all can follow the podcast on anchor spotify itunes google podcast apple podcast overcast podcast breaker radio public and Podbean. shout out to anchor follow me on facebook and instagram romero tutor shout out to the facebook movie group the cinemaniacs and shout out to the facebook movie group the horror virus and last but not least so humbly so gratefully shout out to the tutor reviewers the listeners the lovers the supporters out there i hope i didn't freak anybody out by talking about decapitations and all of that y'all should know by now horror is the foundation in which this podcast platform is built on i talk a lot about um comedies and actions and sometimes dramas i don't i need to do more rom-coms you know i asked um i asked somebody one time i said what do women what type of movies do women watch? Like the majority of women, because I need more. I, you know, every time I check the numbers, 
I look at it. There's more men than women that listen to the podcast, which is fine. But it's like I, I would love to balance it out. And to be honest, I think I've said this before. I would love to have more women listen to it than anything, because women get the word around faster and women you know, they're way more convincing. You know, if women tell their husbands or their fiancés or their boyfriends, babe, I'm listening to this podcast. You want to listen? It's like, all right, cool, whatever. I'll do it. You know, anything for you. But, you know, I need to find out like what type of rom-coms I could do. I need to do like, I need to get around to doing like Malcolm and Marie and Cruel Intentions and Boomerang and Love Jones and Poetic Justice and stuff like that. All the rom-coms I need to really get around to, man. Have Plenty is another good one. And uh, I don't know, maybe The Notebook. I'm actually saving that for a special occasion. Don't don't judge my life, man. I actually like The Notebook. It's a fucking amazing movie. I talked a lot of trash about it, but now that movie made me it made me want to expand my horizons into romantic dramas and romantic comedies and stuff like that cuz that's definitely top 5 hands down. But um yeah, man, we'll get a, we'll get a little more versatile. You know, I'll tone it down and stop talking so much horror. The horror is not going anywhere, but I'll switch it up stuff like that every once in a while, man. I you know, one thing I don't want to do is um is really overwhelm people too much with a particular topic or a particular drama. Now, granted, a lot of people that tune in, they know, they they expect me to talk about horror. So when I talk about another genre, it's kind of left field. Um, but that's all good, man. As long as y'all are tuning in, man. Y'all know the love and support y'all show me. I show it right back to y'all tenfold and then some. So with that being said, people, yours truly, Romero Tudor. Another episode of Tudor Reviews in the can. I'll check y'all on the next one.